Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to be in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel, chapter 2. Uh, so I'll do a, a short recap of what we've gone through before because we've already gone through verses 1 to 33. So tonight, we're going to pick up at Daniel, chapter 2, verse 34. Uh, so a quick recap. Um, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to uh, enlarge his group of astrologers, soothsayers, uh, wise people, uh, fortune tellers. So he recruited uh, some, some young men, primarily uh, Daniel and uh, three others, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we know them. Um, and, uh, you know, they had to meet certain qualifications. They had to be uh, above average intelligence. They had to be... Uh, handsome, uh, clear uh, in their thinking, uh, willing to learn, and willing to be obedient to the king. And so he brought them in. Nebuchadnezzar brought them, King Nebuchadnezzar brought them in, and he had this dream of this, this statue uh, made out of different metals, including uh, clay in the feet. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know what the dream meant. Now, typically, what the kings do is they tell the, the soothsayers, the astrologers, the astronomers what they dream and allow them to interpret it. But Nebuchadnezzar was going to take a different approach. He wanted to make sure that they understood what they were doing. So his request was, first of all, you tell me what I dreamed, and then you give me the interpretation of it. And the men that had been doing this for so long... That was a challenge for them. We, you want us to tell you what you dreamed? How do we do that? And, and they could always interpret because he couldn't disagree with what it meant. And he put faith in these wise men, uh, these astrologers, uh, uh, magicians. And this time they couldn't deliver. So Nebuchadnezzar put the word out that he wanted the chief of the eunuchs to kill, get rid of the men, destroy them all. And unfortunately, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys would have been part of that, that massacre. And so um, they came in and they tried to convince him that, tell us what you dreamed and we'll tell you what it means. But he says, no, you tell me what I dream and what it means. And so he sent them away. And after that, the, the chief of the eunuchs brought in Daniel to, sp to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. And he told him... Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, I will interpret the dream. I will tell you what you dream, and I would interpret it, but I just need a little bit more time. But God gave uh, Daniel favor with Nebuchadnezzar at this point. And Nebuchadnezzar might not have realized that because he didn't think that Daniel would deliver either. So Daniel went away, and he came back, and he started to tell Nebuchadnezzar, what his dream was, and what it really means. So as we start off in verse 34, we're going to get a better explanation of what all these things were. It was a statue made of different metals plus clay. And, and God's going to intervene. God has intervened. God always intervenes. And uh, it's just a question of obedience from our standpoint. And so no different that was Daniel relative to his relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar uh, didn't have a desire to believe in God. They had many, many, many idols in Egypt and just nothing new for us as well. Not saying that it's the people here, but we as humankind have idols in our lives. Every single one of us, things that we don't realize. Well, it's not sinful to have this Ouija board in the house. That's for you. That's between you and your God. But. Anytime that you have something that's occupying your mind, your thoughts, your time, more than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you might want to question whether that can possibly be an idol. And it doesn't have to be sinful to be an idol. It's just that that's where your focus is. That's where our focus is. So let's pick up in uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. Verse two thirty, verse chapter two, verse thirty-four says, 
You watch while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image of his feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. As Nebuchadnezzar looked at this image with awe and wonder, and it was, it was, it was monstrous, it was huge, he wanted to make sure that everybody, first of all, bowed down and worshipped this statue, and secondly, that they would, that would cause them to be more obedient to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, as we'll talk about later, was the first great ruler of the, 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 the nation. And so... Uh, you've heard it said before, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and this is another case where that applies as well. And the stone, uh, this stone, as he was, Nebuchadnezzar was watching this image, the stone smoked the images of the feet of iron and clay with such force that all the metals were pulverized, and the wind blew the dust of the image away so that it entirely disappeared. The stone began to grow as a living stone, and it filled the whole earth, taking the place of an image. Of the image. And this stone that we're referring to in this context speaks of Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what it speaks of. And the, the stone came in and crushed all of these metals, pulverized all of these metals, and it crushed them to the point where a wind came along and just blew them away. And if you can imagine all these, these, these precious metals, the gold, the silver, the bronze, uh, the iron that they just merely blew away in the wind, that tells you what a crushing force that that stone Jesus Christ had on them. So he basically destroyed these things. Verse 36, this is a dream uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are king of kings. 37, verse 37, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell or the beasts of the fields and the bird of the heavens, he has given them into your hand as made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar is this head of gold. And everything falls underneath that. And as I said earlier, uh, God made Nebuchadnezzar the first great world ruler. This was God's idea for Adam, but he lost it. So now God is giving Nebuchadnezzar a chance to be the ruler of the world. And there are five empires in succession that would rule over Israel. And these empires are represented by parts of the statue's body. As it refers in Daniel 7, the same empires are represented by four great beasts. These empires are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the later revived Rome. Each one is shown different from the previous as indicated by the declining quality of the metal. A stone picturing Christ at his second coming will suddenly destroy the fourth empire in the final phase. The coming of Christ, the final coming of Christ was that stone that came in and crushed all these empires. And as a result, he still allowed Nebuchadnezzar to rule, but the, the empires had all been dis diminished by the mountain or the stone, which is uh, Christ. And Christ at his second coming will suddenly destroy the fourth empire in its final phase. And Christ will totally shatter Gentile power, and the result will be the establishment of his millennial kingdom, and the, which will be the ultimate empire, and then continue on into eternity. So when Christ established his, his empire, there's nothing that can move it immovable, unshakable, and that's the Christ that we know, and that's the Christ that we hook our, our anchors to, the rock that keeps us steady, the rock that won't allow us to be shaken or moved. So this is, what we, this is where we want to go. And Nebuchadnezzar at this point did not believe in the living, true God. And there are some among us today who still don't believe in the living and true God. And there's consequences to having that disbelief. And 
me, from a personal standpoint, I, I don't know if I would want to get by in this world now without knowing Jesus. I really don't, don't believe I would. I, I, I really believe for me personally, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me personally, it would be a, a, a major challenge. And I just often think about our friends, our family, who don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. How do they cope? You know, we, we have issues and, and, you know, pray. Uh, there's nothing to praying except it just causes you to have a positive attitude. I can't, I can't buy that. I won't buy that. Uh, how do they cope? What happens when troubles come, when things start to fall apart? What do they resort to? We resort to prayer. We resort to fellowship with our sisters and brothers in Christ. Sometimes they resort to drugs, alcohol, um, fornication. Uh, there's a million things that, that they resort to. And you ask yourself, if not for the Lord, where would you be? How would you cope with the things that are going? And I know some of us have gone through some things in recent months. And it's got to be a challenge. I, I would say we all have, regardless of who we are. We've gone through some things in recent months, in years perhaps. How are you coping? How important is Jesus Christ in your life right now? Is he that rock that you can tie yourself to, that you can anchor yourself to? Is that what's keeping you afloat? Or is it something else that's doing it for you? And I, I would say with certainty, there is no substitute for the love of God. There's nothing that you can buy, nothing that you can earn, nothing that you can create, nothing that you can generate that's going to give you that love of Christ. So my, my prayer uh, for us all, the world, know and be known. It's so important to, to have that attitude that this is all we need because we can spend the rest of our lives trying to fill that void that's been created because of the absence of Jesus in our lives. And we can't make anybody accept him. We can encourage them to accept him. We can fellowship with him. We can worship with him. We can spend time in the word with him. Everything that it takes. But it has to be a personal decision. Because life with Jesus is about a personal relationship. Period. He's not interested in stepchildren, grandchildren, foster children, cousins. He wants a personal relationship with you and you alone. Verse 39, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And in this context, the word inferior means lower from an earthly standpoint on the image of a man as Daniel, and as Daniel guides Nebuchadnezzar's thoughts downward, downward, think in terms of the, 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 as the, the, the empire goes lower, it's more inferior, it's more earthly. And, and as we get to the feet, now we see where we're going from metal to clay. It's about as earthly as you can get, from metal to clay. So, they're going downward in, in, the, uh, in the earthly perspective of the, uh, the um, value of these metals and the strength of them as well. Medo-Persia, though lacking the glory of Babylon, which is silver uh, as compared to gold, was, n was not inferior in strength to Babylon when it was in power. It actually conquered Babylon. But in the case of the Grecian Empire, bronze is less valuable than silver, but stronger. So it really has nothing to do with the value or the strength of these metals. It has to do with the fact that some of these, uh, and we'll talk about later uh, in, a few more, in a few minutes about the, uh, the Roman uh, Empire. Why it was so strong? Because there it was based on iron. Even their armor was based on iron. So Alexander the Great became the ruler of the world, including Israel, from Egypt to Europe to India. And, and at, this was uh, preceding, uh, after, actually after um, Nebuchadnezzar, and he ruled with, literally with an iron fist. And Nebuchadnezzar came in, and, and 
he was ruling that way. He was a, a strong ruler, but he just didn't have confidence in what the Lord would have him to do. Even though he was not what we might consider a believer, he knew that he could be taken over at any time. So there was always wondering who's going to come in and, and take over the kingdom for me because he's already seen it. Verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And this was the significance of the iron. Uh, and this metal, this iron represents the Roman Empire, which will be described as having armies in iron armor. Known, and they were known as the Iron Legions of Rome. These armies had great strength and invisibility. So rep, metal rep, the, the metal iron represented them because they, they, they could crush any other metal that was in this, this image that Nebuchadnezzar had. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that the, the potential for Rome coming in crushing his kingdom was very possible. So that's why he was concerned. He was losing sleep. Uh, and he just couldn't perform his normal activities because he was so concerned about being overtaken by the Roman army, which was a stronger of these. Uh, Daniel 2.41, whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And what he's saying is, yeah, you're going to have some iron in, in your kingdom, iron representing your kingdom, but the problem is it's iron mixed with clay, which doesn't make it that very effective as iron because now the clay is the weak part of it. So if you've got this kingdom that's divided and now you're depending on half of the kingdom supporting, or half of the empire rather, supporting you against the enemy, now the odds are against you. Because what the enemy is going to do, he's going to attack the weaker portion of that empire. So the enemy is not going to attack the strong part, the, the iron part. He's going to attack the clay part. That would be the smart thing for an enemy to do. So that's what Nebuchadnezzar is concerned about. Yeah, um, and yeah, it, for the upper part of the body was all iron. But it's the feet that got crushed first and everything else just fell. So that's what the enemy does with us. And it takes us back to when they talk about put on the whole armor of God. That's just an indication. Oh, can we go out without the feet being shod? We may think so, but that's where the enemy's going to attack. Put on the whole armor. 42, and as the toes of feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Partly strong and partly fragile. What that means in context is if any part of that kingdom, if any part of your thinking, if any part of your body is weak, that's where the attack's going to come. So we need to be concerned about shoring up that part. And if it's partly fragile, partly uh, strong, then I would have to say that it's all fragile. It's a fragile device. It's a fragile mixture. So you go, that's where you're going to get attacked. In this context, uh, ten toes represent the, represent the same kings as the ten horns in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. And these kings will rule in the final time of the Gentile empire, which Christ violently and abruptly destroyed as his second coming. We talked about how the, the mountain, the stone came in and crushed the feet. And everything else fell as a result of that. That's what this is talking about. The iron in the toes or the kings represents the Roman Empire in its revived form. And prior to the second coming of Christ as having iron-like strength for conquest. But the clay mixed in depicts that the union or federation of kings and nation would have fatal flaws of human weakness. So that is extremely vulnerable. Where's that weak area in our lives? Where's our weakness? Where are, where's our Achilles heel? Where's that area that we leave open to the, to the enemy? What is it for you? It may be different for you than for me. What is it? What is the easiest interest for Satan to get in and take over your life? 
how, how far open does the door have to be for Satan to get a foothold and come in and destroy all that God is trying to build up? What is it in your life? Where is your clay in that, that, that body of armor, uh, that piece of armor that's missing? Where is the weak point for you? And that's where your main, mainly your prayer should be. Lord, protect my heart. Lord, protect my head. Protect my brain. Protect my limbs. Lord, please, because those are open to the enemy. What are, you, what are we allowing ourselves to be exposed to? Only you know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. I know what causes me to fall down. I know what causes me to rise up. You know what causes you to rise up and for you to fall down. Those are the things we need to be conscious of. God has created a way for you to defer that enemy from entering that portal. Now, are you doing some things that are making you vulnerable to the enemy? Our thought life, what we watch, what we hear. Anytime anything comes into the ear gates, anything, anything, anytime anything comes into the eye gates, you're vulnerable. Regardless of how, oh, this is no big deal. You know, it may not be for someone else, but maybe it is for you. What are you watching? What are you listening to? We always got to be conscious of that. What are you exposing yourself to? Friends who may not have a godly encouragement to your life. Well, I've always hung out with these guys and these, these ladies. Yeah, but you've made a commitment to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You, you made a promise to be a new creature, a new creation. Are you honoring that? Well, most of the time, that's a definite no. You just said, no, I'm not. Because you're either all in or you're not. What are you exposing yourself to? Be aware of that. Be conscious of that, my friends. That if it's... Uh, Certain things on television that you know are very difficult for you. Turn them out. Tune them out. If it's the music that you're hearing uh, and the world has labeled that as Christian music, but there's no reference to Christ in that. I'm not saying just in word, but the message itself. Is it a positive message from a biblical standpoint? Ask yourself that. Uh, these books, these magazines that, that I get in the mail, do they glorify the Lord? Some do. Well, you just gave a definite no, they don't. Because if you've got nine books that glorify the Lord and one that doesn't, then you still got a problem. So it's not a matter of numbers. It's just a matter of how that affects you. Verse 44, In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. When God establishes his kingdom, it will stand forever. There is no tearing down. There is, there is no one stronger than our God. No one. And so when you know that he's with you, you don't have to be concerned about those who are against you. There's no one stronger than our God. And that's just not uh, a, a lyrics from a song. It's the truth. No one. And there's nothing that he's not concerned about in our life, in your life, in my life. He's concerned about everything. Don't convince yourself or don't let anyone convince you that, well, God's not concerned. That's kind of small. Or that's too big for God. It doesn't matter. If a God says he numbers the hairs on your head, what can be less than that? What can he be less concerned about than that? And he doesn't look at it that way. I care about you. I love you. And I want to do, I want to bring you to me. I want your heart to be, uh, reflect my heart. And that's why he gave us his word. And God's kingdom ruled by the Messiah is a final rule. Never to be replaced. Well, God changes rules. We see that in our world today. Yeah, we need to do this thing. Well, on second thought, we don't really don't need, at the, at the further review, we thought that we don't really need to do this at all. What are you going to buy into? That's up to you. And uh, I, you have to make that decision for yourself. Not depend on someone else 
to say this is what you should or shouldn't do because they're giving the advice that fits them. It may not be the right thing for you. You pray with that God that you have a personal relationship with. Lord, what will you have me to do? And he will give you an answer. He will give you an answer based on you and your situation. Don't let anybody deter you from that. And uh, God has a millennial phase and an eternal future. And it is the same king who rules both. God rules both. The millennial kingdom and the eternal future. He's got it all covered, my friends, from head to toe, literally. Verse 45, inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And all he's saying to us and to, to Nebuchadnezzar at this point, the stone is the Messiah. The mountain represents God, all transcending government that hovers over weak earthly powers. Weak earthly powers, and that, that's all inclusive. Weak earthly powers, and that could be our so-called leaders. That could be the things that we worship, the things that we have trust in. And over the last at least year and a half, two years, he's shown us the frailty of that, things that we built our hopes on. And as the songstress says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's what we have to live by. That's what we should live by. The things that we put hope in, uh, we just staked our future on things that, that were taken away from us. And some of us still haven't recovered because this is things that we thought we got a lock. You know, I've got my 401k, I've got my bank account, I've got my house on the hill, and I even got a spare car. And the world started to change, and all of a sudden now it's not summertime and the living is easy anymore. Things have changed. And things continue to change. We have to be, we have to know that we know that we know that we're a child of the king. Well, I think I am. We have to know. We have to know. We have to be certain. How, how can you be certain? How can you be certain that he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant? How can we be certain that he won't say, him I know, her I know, but who are you? How can we be certain that that won't occur? By going in, committing our lives, day by day, minute by minute, to the things of Christ. And regardless of what the, the, the acquaintances may say, it's a win-win situation. There's no downside they will convince you that you're missing out. You're missing out on a good life because you're so wrapped up in this Jesus thing until you never have any fun. Ask them to define fun. See what they tell you. And what you'll realize is fun is why you gave your life to Christ so you can get away from that nonsense. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to always get it right but we're going to get second and third and fourth and fifth chances. He's going to do that. He's going to honor that. If we honor him, he will honor us. It's a fact. So just continue to seek him in everything. Messiah is, in this context, cut out of the seven realm by God, which is in accord with the Son of Man coming without hands. And without hands speaks of the fact that the Messiah comes from God and not of human origin or power. This is not man-made. This is not a God who, who's controlled by, you know, the talking heads and the, and the powers that be. This is a God that is all-encompassing. This is a God who rules over all. 
And he allows things to happen that we don't understand. That's why the, the, as we read the word of God, sometimes we see the word mystery. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why he's put certain mysteries in our lives. If we are know-it-alls, if we understand everything that happens that doesn't happen, then why do we honor God, a God that does that? Why do we honor him? Why can't we make decisions for ourselves? And most of us sitting here tonight have made decisions for ourselves. Didn't always turn out good. We have to be careful of that, making sure that our words, our deeds, our will, our way is lined up with God's. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we always have to make sure that. And it's tough. I'm not going to stand here and say how easy it is. It is not easy. It's not easy being obedient to God or anyone else for that matter. It's a challenge for us. It's not easy being religious in the sense of committing ourselves to reading the word every day. Attendance service, because it's not about us, it's about the people that we get to bless, the people that we get to encourage, the people that encourage us. That's what this is all about. So we have to stop thinking in terms of what do, I, what do I get out of this? What's in it for me? We have to think in terms of we are here to encourage one another. We are here to be encouraged by one another. And that's how we need to think. So too often we get in, in so wrapped up in just thinking of ourselves until we just lose the whole focus of what this is all about. If you're not honoring others, you're not honoring Jesus. If it's all about you, then you're not honoring Jesus. Not at all, regardless of how you feel about it, you're not. And this, uh, this, this uh, cut out of a, a sovereign realm by God, which is in court with the Son of Man coming without hands, speaks of the fact that, we're, that the Messiah came from a virgin birth, and resurrection, as well as the second coming, is attributed to his supernatural origin. There is nothing natural about this. There's nothing natural about a virgin birth. There's nothing natural about resurrection. This is all supernatural. Our God, the God that we serve, comes from a supernatural origin. And we need to continue to focus on that and knowing that it's all we need. It is really all that we need. Uh, Daniel 2, chapter 2, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. Verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is a God of gods, the Lord of kings, and really of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. And Daniel's faith in God made a major impact on Nebuchadnezzar. Our faith in God can make a, a tremendous impact on our family, our friends, our co-workers, uh, the people that we socialize with, the neighbors, the neighborhood. Your faith in God can be revealed in that. It can have a major impact on anyone that you meet. And even though you may not know it, you may not realize it at that moment. But be, be committed to what God is calling you to do. Just go out and just speak to your neighbor. Go out and speak to your sister, your brother, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter. Go out and speak to them. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. And Daniel's impact was so profound that Nebuchadnezzar actually worships Daniel and commands others to do likewise. Nebuchadnezzar's always had trust in the things that he was surrounded by, the things that he grew up with, never a, a need or desire to worship anything except his statues, his idols. And now he's actually proclaiming worship to a living thing. Nebuchadnezzar only knows the worship of physical objects, and now he intends to worship the true and living God. And Nebuchadnezzar has made a change in his life. 
everybody in this room, everybody that's hearing this over the airwaves has made a commitment to the living, true and living God. And it makes a difference. It's a big difference. Are you really honoring that? Are you going through the motions? Are you playing church? Then I pray that you would pray about making a true commitment because that's the only thing that's going to help us. You help me. I help you by honoring God because now we got a heart for people. We got a heart for others. And, and granted, you know, we have trouble with that, that second commandment. We have trouble with the first one and the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? So that means I got to like the people across the street? No, that's not it at all. Anybody that you see, that's your neighbor. Anybody that you hear, that's your neighbor. And if you want to learn how to encourage, start off by looking in the mirror. Are you encouraged by what you see? Some days, yes. Some days, not so much. But you, it's going to be like that. You've got to maintain a heart. And I'm not talking about just loving on yourself, but looking at you when you've got a positive attitude, when you've got the joy of Jesus in you, now you want to go out and share that. You can't contain joy. You can't. The very nature of joy causes you to want to go out and share. Go out and share with other people. Go out and encourage other people. Go out and bless someone with what you've learned. To whom much is given, much is required. And we've been given so much. Everybody here has been given so much. You say, well, my life is really not a bed of roses. Even if you've got one rose in your bed, it's a great beginning. Honor him. Honor him. Trust him. And this, and this was uh, Nebuchadnezzar's introduction to the God of heaven. And we can, in this verses, in these, these chapters, these verses, we can witness the growth in the heart of this pagan king. And it will break through the darkness in his life. And he is going to come into the light of the knowledge of God. Just like when we were, we recommitted ourselves or committed ourselves to honoring Jesus. We came out of that darkness into that marvelous light. And I pray that that never stops. Never stops. The closer you get to him, the more light, the less darkness. But we need to draw close to him. We need to draw. And he will draw you with his loving kindness. But you've got to be open to receive it. He wants to draw you in. He wants you. And I'm not going to say he wants you to be happy. He wants you to be beyond that. He wants you to be joyous. You can, re you can hold ha happiness in. Because you can make yourself happy within the confines of your home or your house. But joy, it, it causes you to want to explode. So you've got to get rid of some of it. Otherwise, you're going to implode. That joyfulness. I want my, my friends, I want my family to know the joy of the Lord. So live it. And always remember that they're going to see your life before they hear your words. Well, I told them about Christ. Yeah, but how are you living? You talk a good game, but are you living it? Are you living a joyful life? Are you living as if you trust in Jesus Christ? Are you living it? Are you just talking about it? Quoting scriptures. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but they're going to go by what they see more so than what they hear. Not just speak life, but live it. Let them know that there's something different about him. There's something different about her. I'm not quite sure what it is. What is it about you? It's the love of God. I don't understand that. But if God is, if he's so wonderful, so gracious to you, why don't you have all these trappings of the world? Exactly. That's why I don't have the trappings of the world. God showed me that I can live without all this stuff. And it doesn't make you happy. So 
What is he doing in your life? Verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. 49. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, uh, what that really means, but Daniel is now rewarded and elevated by Nebuchadnezzar. But he does not forget his three Hebrew friends. That's important. Again, he does not forget his three Hebrew friends. They also receive high positions in the government of Babylon. Daniel is now the one who confers with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar trusts him in everything now. He's already proven that he's a godly person. And Nebuchadnezzar now understands what it means to be a godly person. His, his wise men could not tell him of his dream or interpret it. Daniel was able to do that. But what Nebuchadnezzar realized that Daniel could not have done that unless it was the will of God. That's what changed his mind. So this God is real, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, God is real. I thought I could put confidence in my statues, my wise men, and my kingdom. No, Nebuchadnezzar. That stone will come down and crush everything. That's, that was your dream. That was your concern. And now you know that that stone or that mountain, it supersedes every other kingdom that's on earth. It supersedes every earthly kingdom because when God comes back, all that's going to be demolished. They also received high position in government, and Daniel was placed in a position of sitting in the gate and being a judge and a Supreme Court justice. Daniel is now the one who confers with Nebuchadnezzar, judges the people, and acts in the capacity of prime minister of the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel has now joined the ranks of two other people that we've heard of in the word. Uh, Lot. Lot sat in the, in the uh, gate of Sodom, and he was a judge in the book of Genesis. He was a judge. He's also joined the ranks of Mordecai, which some of us have heard of in the book of Esther, who sat in the gate and was also a judge. And when you read these accounts and you look back and see where these men came from, it should be really amazing. So what that lets you know is that God can use you whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are. And I just want to just remind you that Moses started in a mansion, but he ended up in the desert. David started in the desert but he ended up in a mansion. So you're not, it's not like some religious citizens believe that this is what you're going to be. This is what you're destined to be for the rest of your life. On the contrary, God will use you in whatever way he sees fit. Now here's the rub. He also honors us by giving us free will. Well, God, that's not my strength. I really don't want to do that. I'd rather do something else. Okay, now who's God? Now who's got a monopoly on wisdom, discernment? Basically, what you're saying is, as a fool would say, no, God, I don't choose to be that way. I'm a shepherd, and that's all I ever desire to be. God, I was born in this, this mansion, so this is where I want to live my life. I don't want to be subjected to the hardships of life, relatively speaking. God says, no, I got a plan for your life if you just let me work on you. So no matter what he's doing, my friends, there's a plan. Always a plan. He doesn't do anything by chance, by coincidence. He has a plan for you. So it may not be where we want to go. It may not be who we want to be. But I want to be like them. I want to have all the stuff that they've got. But my child, that's going to destroy you. So I'm not going to give you that. So he will let you have your way. But when you turn from him, in a biblical sense, that's considered sin. 
Sin always has consequences. Always. And all sin leads to death. All sin leads to death. Regardless of how, oh, well, this isn't a big deal. Well, if it's sin, it's going to lead to death. You may not be able to fathom that at that moment. Well, what can go wrong? This is, a, matter of fact, this is an uh, innocent situation. No one gets hurt by what I'm doing. God sees it differently. Your actions, your words, always have an impact on someone else, at least one other person, sometimes more. Regardless of how innocent it may seem to you, it's not a big deal. It's just an innocent thing, just me. Nobody's affected but me. That's never true. Never true. Always, always, always someone else who's affected by your words and your actions. Always. Be mindful of that. Do we have a chance of succeeding? Do we have a chance of honoring him? The answer is yes. And the word that he uses for us to encourage us is the word hope. There's always hope. Always. No matter what you're going through, no matter how severe, no matter how volatile the situation is, he's working it out for you. And it's individual. He's got a plan. But God, I don't see. I don't see where you're going. I don't see where you're taking me. And we may not always see that. We may never see it. And there's another word that comes into play. The word is called trust. Trust. And these are words that we struggle with. And I'm not going to mention obedience. Because I know that's right up there in the top three, probably. So trust in him. Will you trust him? Can you trust him? The word is yes, you can. The question mark is, will you trust him? So important, friends. And don't always be too concerned about the outcome. Because no matter what he shares with us. But Lord, where are you going? Where are you taking me? I'll tell you when we get there. But I need to know now. So think about this. If he told you what, where he was taking you, would your opinion of that change depending on your perspective? I want to go there, so let's hurry up. I don't want to go there, so now you've got to drag me. More than likely, we're not going to be satisfied with the process that he's using, and that's why he won't reveal it to us sometimes. You're not going to be content. And we have a tendency of never being content. All of us. No excuses. No exclusions from that. We all have a tendency, never content with what he's doing. Even if it's in our best interest, we want to change the situation. Trust him in everything. Last point. All things are possible. There is nothing impossible with God. Nothing. But, brother, you, you don't really understand what I'm going through right now. I'm going through a hard time. A lot of people are going through a hard time. But how do I get encouragement? You get encouragement by giving of what he's given you. By blessing someone else with your time, your talent, your finances. Experience true joy. And what he'll do, he'll continue to fill you to overfilling. And now he's giving you so much, as I made reference to before, with joy. He would just give you so much until you would just want to go out and pour it out. Pour it out on others. That's where he wants us to be. That's where he wants us to dig into the word. Share the word. Go out and, and just proclaim the name of Jesus. Everywhere you go. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Ever. Ever. If you've got something good in life, you can't hold it in. I got to tell my friends. I got to tell my family. And that's how the love of Jesus should be in us. I can't contain it. I can't hold it in. 
I got to tell somebody about this love that I found. Anything, anything, you, you, even inanimate objects that we obtain, we got to tell somebody. What is more blessing than the love of Jesus? Let me tell you about my God. Don't be ashamed of it. Shout it from the mountaintops. Even shout it, shout it out, even if you're in the valley, what we call the valley, the low times, shout it out. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to continue to have hope in him. I'm going to continue to remind myself that with him, all things are possible. Let him know. Tell your friends. Because if you don't, then you're doing a disservice, not just to your friends, your family, but to Jesus as well. Why would you not want to share the good news? If you got any other good news, you proclaim it. Is this not good news? Tell them what a wonderful thing God has done in your life. And they will counteract sometimes by saying, well, if God is so good in your life, why are you going through hard times? Why, why do you have to suffer? God said, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But he never said that there would be no weapons formed against us. Trust him. Have hope in him. Believing in him. That his promises are yea and amen. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never means never. He's with us. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for how you blessed us here tonight. And I pray, Father, that your word was rightly divided. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for allowing me to stand here in fellowship with my friends, your people, holy, your holy remnant. And I'm just so grateful, Father. My heart is just overfilled with with what you put there, and I just want to share it. And I thank you for giving me this opportunity to do just that. So we pray. I pray if there's anyone here tonight who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that tonight would be the night they would come forth asking, what must I do to be saved? So I thank you, Father, for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit. So we give praise and honor to you for all you are, Father. And I, I pray that you would get my friends back to their homes safely. And that when they arrive at home, you'll be waiting at the door to welcome them in. So, Lord, we thank you for all that you are in our lives. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning king, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.